backroom politics. And good afternoon out there on Radio Land. It's Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. Again, from a disparate, separated uh, studio this week, I am in the great city of New York, the Big Apple. And joining me as they do every Tuesday, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man that we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you, sir? Doing great. Belated Happy Memorial Day to you. Oh, yes. Happy Belated Memorial Day to you. Thank you for your service, Admiral. Appreciate it. And Jenny, he is the former. uh, He's a former Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count four presidents, longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider. He is the man we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon, guys. And we have obviously got a lot to talk about between North Korea, between Trump overseas, between Trump domestic, between Russians. We've got all kinds of stuff, debt ceiling issues, budget issues. Oh, it's amazing. Where do we even start? Let's obviously start with uh, the latest going on today. So for those who don't know, the developing story coming out of Washington, out of the White House. Uh, after only three months being on the job, uh, uh, President Donald Trump's communications director, Mike Dubke, resigned apparently as late as, Mar- as uh, the 18th of this month. He was asked to stay on until after the president's uh, overseas trip, which he agreed but has now uh, apparently begun his vacating of the comms office in the White House. Now, Politico is reporting that this could be part of a larger shakeup, which which would include possibly uh, anybody from uh, rumors we've heard, Sean Spicer, the press secretary for the president, the long-embattled press secretary. Uh, We've heard all the way up to including the chief of staff, uh, my uh, Reince Priebus and even Steve O'Bannon, special advisor to the president. Uh, with all of this swirling around, uh, there is increasing pressure on the president as far as who does he trust and who does he go to. Let's start with you, Alan Moore. When we see uh, the departure of a key figure like Mike Dubke, how how much of is, of, is this a telltale sign that, in fact, the president is trying to shake things up to clear the logjam and start moving forward in his presidency? Or is this just another departure from a frustrated staffer? Well, probably, probably somewhere in between. Um, the communications director is not somebody who has – has had a high profile. He doesn't speak uh, publicly for the president. Um, he's a convenient target uh, for the president if the president is very distressed about the kind of uh, press coverage he gets simply because he says, you're not doing your job. I'm getting lousy press. Uh, and there's a lot of conversation right now uh, about the possibility of creating sort of a, of a war room for a quick response to bad press stories um, there's another strategy, of course, that most people have pointed out about how to avoid lousy press stories, and that is to stop creating 
um, lousy press. Um, and most of that stuff rests in in the Oval Office uh, with the president, his tweets, uh, his his intemperate uh, uh, manner, particularly that shows up in the tweets and sometimes in remarks, um, and then his constant uh, switching of positions and views. So Dubkey may well have been frustrated and wanted to get out of there. Um, so it's not clear at this point whether he initiated this uh, or whether he was encouraged to do this. I don't know what's going to happen. There's been rumors about major uh, senior level staff shakeups for some time. We'll just have to wait and see. But it's not going to solve the underlying problem. Admiral Ken, is this just a Band-Aid move by the president, or uh, is this something that the president needs to do to help get back on track with his agenda? Uh, You know, I'm inclined to agree with Alan that – whether this is a sign of a big shakeup or, or, or something else, um, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I think that um, I also agree with Alan that, you know, there's only so much um, you can do with the material that WQ was handed. Um, you know, you, you can't make chocolate cake out of piles of poo. I mean, you just can't do it. And uh, no matter how good you are, um, so I, I, um, I think, I think, a little bit of a glitch there. Apologize. Um, so, you know, my, my, my hope is, um, that with the departure of Dubkey, uh, he, he leaves a note saying, Hey boss, good luck. By the way, I'm taking your Twitter machine, your Twitter device with me. And I basically forbade anyone else to give you a replacement. Alan Moore, you know, how how big of a problem does the president have as far as being able to manage the communication cycle? Is this a matter of, you know, he's his own worst enemy with Twitter? Is this a matter of just inexperience in the comms office? There, there's got to be some sort of formula here that could at least minimize a lot of the communications damage happening inside the White House. The president is his own worst enemy, and unless he is willing and prepared to rein in his own instincts, um, which is a huge ask, or ha- an ask that he has failed in so far, then I don't care who you bring in. It, 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 he, he, he is going to do his own thing. He, is, he has talked about the cha- – he's even been somewhat sympathetic in talking about the challenge of the people who do the daily brief – um, which in itself is uh, is vulnerable um, by saying, you know, don't blame these guys. They, it's really hard for them to keep up with my thinking because I'm a really fast thinker and I'm constantly uh, refining my point of view. And so, don't blame them. Um, it maybe we're maybe we we should rethink the daily brief. But he's not refining. He's changing. And shifting, and and saying things that are not true, uh, not smart, um, uh, intemperate, and they become stories in and of themselves, and they tend to dominate the news cycle. So he is his own worst problem. You can't bring in a new staff 
and assume that they're going to fix anything. He's got to be willing to fix himself. A new staff, fine, fine. But, you know, I don't have a huge, you know, we have our individual gripes from time to time with Spicer um, or, or Hope Hicks or Kellyanne Conway, um, the, the people who are most likely to be out, out there talking. Um, and, and, and I don't think it's the A-team, but, but <laughs> given his behavior, it's going to be impossible to hire A-team members to come in and have to deal with the kind of daily, weekly wreckage that the president creates by his own lack of discipline. So, you know, what's, you know what's funny is I, I I would like to have everybody take a look at the uh, an opinion piece put up on CNN by Gloria Borger, uh, and it's basically saying how Trump is alone. Uh, with the increasing pressure on Jared Kushner, uh, you know, with Melania being here in New York City, uh, with uh, and a lot, and him not being able to have an inner circle that he could trust, uh, Gloria Borger reports that a lot of friends are concerned that he is emotionally withdrawing, he's putting on weight, uh, that he's over obsessing about media. Uh, is this is not something, Admiral Ken, that one would expect from a healthy emotional state for somebody acting as the president of the United States. Is there a problem there, possibly? Well, I, I think the um, I think the the premise of your question states the issue that you're having, and you, you basically said that we would normally expect. Well, Trump hasn't been normal in any regard. Um, since he announced his candidacy for the office, he's always done things his own way. And I think if, at, the, at, at, the, uh, at the crux of, of the matter, that truly is why he is probably having so much trouble relating to the media and understanding that this is not uh, a construction business. This is not a reality TV show. This is the NFL version of politics. And things happen hard. The, the hits are tough. Uh, things happen fast. And, you know, it's, it's no wonder that if any of those rumors are true, that that is what's happening. Um, you know, early on, I was one of those people that, that, that said, hey, let, let's, give, let's give the man a chance. And, um, and I almost have kind of just kind of you know, given up on that. But the fact of the matter is, he's the president of the United States. Um, I'm kind of hoping that, that none of those rumors are true and that he's basically retreated back uh, into the bowels of the White House to try and figure out what's going on and what he doesn't know to make him a, a better and effective leader. But the bottom, okay. line, the bottom line is no, nothing about Donald Trump um, uh, can be uh, used uh, against what our historical um, uh, experiences have been because he, by his own word, goes out of his way to avoid any of those those comparisons. Alan Moore, this does raise a good question. Has has the media, have political uh, opinions been unfair to Donald Trump? Should we have been a little bit more lenient in giving him more of a learning curve, being that he is a total outsider, or are we putting too much expectations on him? Well, <laughs> Look, you, you, you don't you don't you don't get a free pass 
in life because especially in politics, just because you're new and inexperienced, but different people deal with their uh, inexperience in very different ways. Nobody's nobody who becomes president was president before. If you were vice president uh, or in Hillary Clinton's case, you know, the, the first lady, you may see a lot of stuff up close. Um, but until you're actually there and making the decisions, it it's there. There's no ideal way to prepare. Having said that, Donald Trump prepared about as miserably as one can. He had no particular interest in public policy, no prior experience in uh, in government. He had this view that if you pass enough money around, you can get stuff you want. Um, people treated him like he was important because they wanted money from him, but he paid no attention to to policy issues. He 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 was very unprepared. Interestingly, uh, President Obama he came in from from the state legislature and a, and a very short period of time in the Senate, um, he was more curious uh, about how the world worked. Getting some experience at the state level is important. He didn't have a lot of Senate experience when he came in, but he knew enough to know about what he didn't know and was pretty humble about it all. And he was super cautious and careful. He made some mistakes. Bill Clinton made mistakes early on. They all make mistakes uh, early on, and nobody gets a free pass from the press. The problem with with Donald Trump is he is singularly unsympathetic because of his his personal behavior, his arrogance, his bullying, his narcissism. Um, it's hard to to give a guy a free pass when he's just not very smart on this stuff and not at all likable, and in fact is a bully. So I, I don't, I, you know, I. I I, I don't have a quarrel in general with the press. I have a lot of quarrels with individual things, with factual mistakes, with exaggerations, with over, you know, with taking something and then pushing way beyond what the facts provide. You guys have heard me many times say, why is the press going down this road? They got enough on this guy. They don't need to make stuff up that and be wrong, but, no, this is this is the president's uh, uh, own doing. And having said that, the country cares, the Congress cares, citizens care, the cabinet cares. Um, it's really important uh, in terms of his being isolated. He's a guy who admits to not having a lot of close friends. He claims many, many friends, hundreds of friends. He calls people up. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? But most of these guys are people from his past uh, in his life. They're not people who were seasoned uh, uh, political pros, uh, seasoned journalists, um, and they they tend to be people who reinforce some of his worst instincts. Alan, let me jump in real quick. I mean, is that is that the biggest problem? Is should Trump instead of the you know draining the swamp? had some swamp creatures surrounding him to, if not at least advise him, at least show him a little bit of the ropes? Look, nobody ever, I, I never understood who the swamp was. So, so what, I, 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 I've, I don't like that term. He needed and still needs seasoned professionals. Most people give him reasonably good marks for his, 
foreign affairs, foreign policy team. They don't give him necessarily good marks for listening to them very well. And some of his, his uh, foreign policy folks are taking grief these days for defending him uh, apparently or, or what, uh, on what appears to be under orders. John Kelly over the weekend was, was defending the, the, the reports anyway, the content of these unsubstantiated reports about Jared Kushner seeking a, a private line of communication with, uh, with the senior Russian, uh, R- Russian leaders possibly utilizing Russian technology. Now, there's a lot of question about what actually occurred or did not occur, who initiated the conversations, what those conversations were. And, but, but John Kelly on, on one of the talk shows was saying, hey, we are always looking for any way we can talk to these people. No big deal here. No problem. He looked very uncomfortable saying it. Now, I'm not saying he didn't believe it. I don't know. He just looked very uncomfortable saying it. And since nobody can come up with any precedent where something like this would have occurred, it's a little hard to say, yeah, this is the status quo. This is the norm. This is how things work. I, for one, am not prepared to condemn uh, uh, Kushner or the White House because I don't think we know enough. But the, the point is that some of these guys, whether it's General Mattis at, at Defense, Kelly, uh, uh, McMaster inside the White House's National Security Advisor, these guys are increasingly, so it appears, being called upon to defend things which run against, which appear to run against their long history. At some point, one of them is going to s- simply stand up and say, I won't do that. If you order me to do that, then I will resign. No one. It doesn't look like anybody has done that yet. That doesn't mean they haven't. It just hasn't been apparent. But so it's one thing, and this is the problem in in getting new people in. Yeah, you want senior seasoned professionals. But what if they look at the situation after three months and say, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to work for a guy who won't listen to me. Yeah. Why would I want to do that? That's true. Admiral Ken, let's pivot a little bit and and talk about the foreign side of this. Um, President Trump came back to a beehive of media buzz regarding the domestic stuff after having what some thought could have been a great overseas trip, uh, but is now getting marginal marks, having success in Saudi Arabia, having success in Israel, he turns around and many are saying just bungles a trip to NATO, bungles a trip to the G7. How much damage has Trump done after the NATO and G7 meetings with our closest allies in Europe? Um, I, I, I think the, um, I think the, uh, the, the real result of the trip has yet to be um, determined. It's only been a few days since he came back. Um, we knew that there was a somewhat less than warm relationship between um, President Trump and Angela Merkel. Um, and despite um, Sean Spicer's comments today uh, during the, uh, the press, press conference, um, Merkel's comments uh, over, over the, uh, the last, uh, last 24 to 48 hours uh, seemed to be counter to that. Um, I think that um, 
that trip should be looked at in different slices and pieces. Uh, I think his his, uh, his time in the Middle East probably uh, fared better than his time in Europe. Um, I think the fact that the media, uh, both formal news media and um, uh, social media outlets, keeps playing that clip of him pushing aside the president of Montenegro to get in front of the photo opportunity. Um, I, I think that, that that particular moment says a lot about um, how the president views uh, a good many of the NATO uh, NATO allies. You know, they, they need us more than we need them, if you will. Um, I think that the, the, Kushner, the, the Jerry Kushner story probably took a little uh, air out of the uh, out of the, the real state uh, in that the first questions that he was asked as he stepped off of Air Force One was about that. So uh, he may have gotten away from the noise and kept the press at arm's length uh, for the last week or so while he was away. But boy, he wasn't even in the White House 24 hours before he was back up on the tweet device. And here we go again. Alan, Alan Moore, though, going back to the, uh, G7, the G7 summit and the NATO meetings in Brussels, uh, President Trump took a lot of criticism for the way he approached his speech at the dedication of the NATO 9-11 memorial there in, in uh, Belgium. It, it, you know, calling out NATO partners publicly or, you know, for lack of a better term, calling them deadbeats, uh, was that bad political maneuvering, or was that just uh, tough love for NATO? Well, so <laughs> it's a, that's a good way to put it, because there, there are, of course, people in his inner circle who were, you know, encouraging him to say these words, who who would have referred to it as tough love, and there are followers of the the presidents out around the country that would say, yeah, give it to him. But I'll remind everybody a couple things. One, Trump during the campaign dumped all over NATO, just yeah. you know, obsolete, um, and and uh, and 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 pretty harshly uh, talked about the the way it the way it's the way it's financed. Then. Um, shortly after uh, his election in a meeting with the head of NATO said, yep, NATO's in good shape now. And almost as though uh, <laughs> I fixed it, um, which, which made the behavior in Brussels truly bizarre. Now, you've you got to look at this trip uh, you know, in its entirety. He goes to, to Saudi Arabia, uh, deal, meets with a bunch of Arab leaders, says some rather conciliatory things, and in light of the let's ban all Muslims uh, language early on in his campaign that he backed away from, but has but clearly showed antipathy uh, in many different ways, uh, uh, including with, with his executive order uh, and, and so on. Um, you know, it's like, okay, let's give him a B. You don't want to give a free pass to all of these countries on uh, – uh, on human rights issues, um, even if he wants to down downgrade them a bit, um, in acknowledgement of how the United States typically operates in the world, we find our allies where we how we find them, and we have to hold our nose sometimes and work with people um, who who uh, we can't really respect, uh, who run their countries in ways with which we don't agree. Um, but 
but it, we find it in our interest to be their friends. So he kind of tilts all the way the other way. Says we're not going to tell you how to operate and how to live, um, and we want to work with you, and we care about about and people of the Islamic faith, unless of course they happen to be uh, Iranians, um, right. uh, which which went went over fairly well with that. So you know, the, it, the, given what might have occurred and what he left behind, the 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 meeting got off to a to a decent start, and then he was able to go directly from there to Israel, where he had some good meetings, then to Rome with the Pope, that was, that was, you know, in my mind, that was okay. So it wasn't fabulous like, like people were claiming, but it was decent and better than it might have been. Then he, gets to, then he gets to Brussels, having announced not that long ago that, yeah, NATO's coming around, and by the way, we're not going to lecture people on how to operate. And then he trashes all of these NATO members in public. It was a disastrous speech. Completely inappropriate. This wasn't tough love. This was stupid. This was gratuitous uh, slam on on countries who have their own special challenges with budget, etc. And then there's no precision, no accuracy in what the president talks about when he says they're all in arrears. They're not in arrears. They, 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 they there's two different things. There's paying for the cost of NATO. The U.S. pays 22 percent. Every other country, as far as I know, virtually all of them are up to speed on what their share is. One can argue whether 22% is a re- reasonable share for the U.S. or not, but we have a lot of interest in self-interest in preserving NATO. And then this business about how they're not fulfilling their, uh, their obligations, these are non-binding obligations to try to get uh, their spending on defense of, for, for their own national spending on defense up to 2% of, of gross domestic product. Some countries are there, like five are, are there. We're way, we're way past that. Uh, German is, Germany's well below, but some of that is the, is the residue of, of rules after World War II on what they can and can't spend money on. So, so it, 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 he blends these things. It becomes very confusing. It feeds the narrative that we're, we're, we're paying all the costs of NATO which which we're not. We do have a hope that these countries will increase their spending on defense because they find it in their own interest and because they've got sort of verbal understandings and agreements. But you don't trash them all in a highly public way um, where they're all standing there and feeling embarrassed and angry. What's the point? You, if, if you want to, you want to shame them collectively. If you do it collectively, they're more likely to to join together and say, "Who is this jerk?" Um, there, there are so many more effective ways of persuading them without trying to publicly embarrass, uh, embarrassing them when they, when they're all in the room. And then it kind of continued in that vein with the G7. So, Admiral Ken, Admiral Ken, let me just go to you real quick. Is you know, when we heard Angela Merkel's comments yesterday about we have to start relying on ourselves, many took it as a dig against Trump. Is it a dig against Trump, or is this more of a self-realization that, hey, you know what? Trump's not the ally we need him to be. We need to circle the wagons and start fending for ourselves, President Macron, Prime Minister May, etc., 
the answer to the question is to, to the, the combined answer to the question is yes. Uh, it was a Digitron, and yeah, because it is a Digitron, they're looking at him as a as a leader that they can't depend on. And you know, I don't understand why why when the president goes off and he he, he, he does speeches like this and refuses to shake people's hands in a public setting, why anyone is surprised? Go back to his behavior during the the primaries. Go back to the, the comments that he made about the other 15 to 16 people up on, up on the stage with him. Uh, this is his modus operandi. This is how he gets what he wants. This is why uh, uh, Alan uh, was comfortable calling him a bully, um, because that's who he is, and he thinks that this will work for him. The problem is, uh, as we've talked about before, this is a different game now. The rules are different, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing, to keep the other uh, leaders that are part of NATO from basically saying, yeah, you know what, have a nice day. And that's the light I can put up here. And, Alan, it, it strikes me as being odd because, you know, when we talk about the trade deficit between, let's take, for example, uh, Germany and the United States, I mean, everybody knows that uh, there is a deficit. It's a, it's a fairly large deficit. But at the same time, you know, we also have to realize that when we look at companies like Volkswagen, uh, when we look at companies like uh, Porsche, uh, I'm sorry, Porsche. Yeah, we look at Porsche, Volkswagen. Uh, we we look at uh, Audi. We look at Mercedes Benz. A lot of those products are being made in American factories with American workers, where these German companies have made a sizable investment in some instances. Uh, are we playing with fire by calling out Germany the way they are? Because the Germans would have no problem saying, you know what, screw you, we'll take our work to Mexico, we'll shut everything down. Well, first of all, they're not going to do that. It's not that easy. you got a massive, you got billions of dollars invested in U.S. factories that are highly productive, that are making cars for not only the U.S. market, but for export to third countries, um, right. it and and it's it's not like okay we're <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna move to we'll move to Mexico Canada somewhere else that Obviously. won't happen Obviously. at the Obviously. same time at the same time it's just another example of the president not understanding the complications of international trade international financial flows, capital movements across borders. Um, the, you, you can't create trade policy by looking at U.S. relationships, one country versus another. Different, I mean, especially with the Europeans, where there, we've had a fairly open market with, where everybody's operated by pretty much the same rules and you can argue that 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 the 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 trade there is freer and fairer than it is in other government controlled markets like china um china's you know a different kind of a problem but when he keeps picking on the germans and 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 I'll bet he does has no idea that all the companies you mentioned plus bmw all <laughs> build 
lots of cars in the U.S. Now, some of the parts used in those cars were made in Germany. It's not it's not a hundred percent U.S. content, but neither is a hundred percent U.S. content in the American manufacturers, um, uh, American companies. The, the 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 problem is that that the president picks on these little subjects where he he has a glimmer of information and he may get a, a, a glimmer from from the people around him. He really doesn't want to dig in and and learn much in depth. It's much easier to just uh, to to just attack. I, I did want to say something though about about uh, about. Angela Merkel and her comments. First of all, um, the, 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 there was clearly a Trump element to what she said, but it's much more than that. This isn't just about a bad week or three months um, or six months, whatever, with, with Donald Trump. Brexit, the decision by the, by the British to pull out uh, of the EU was a huge matter for all of Europe that got their attention, the the influx of a few million refugees from uh, from Iraq and Syria um, into uh, in northern Africa into Europe was a huge issue for the Europeans. The violence, the terrorism in cities in Europe is is much more unique to Europe than, a, than, than something that the U.S. shares. The Europeans, including Merkel, are realizing, you know, we have got to join together and, and take on some of these issues that are confronting us and, and not rely on the United States, even if we had a president that we thought was perfect and we loved, we they have some sense that the politics of America is not particularly pro-European. That's not unique to to Donald Trump. Now he says it in a particularly ignorant and odious way, which uh, allows them to to go negative on Trump, as the foreign minister of Germany did in a kind of a personal way. But Merkel's comment was made at a at a political event in a beer garden. Um, she's a pretty cautious person, and the the way I read that comment was. We're not going to be able to rely on old alliances the way we used to. And Donald Trump and his behavior certainly reinforced that. But he didn't start that. But, Admiral Ken, are we playing a dangerous kabuki dance here with the idea that there is a growing separation within NATO between the U.S. and every other member of NATO, including our neighbors to the north in Canada? Uh, I don't think so. Um, really? I, I don't, I, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, the, 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 so you, you ask, are we playing a dangerous game? I, I don't think Trump is, is understands, President Trump understands w- what he's doing. You know, here, here's a person um, who, 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 who thought, and I think still thinks, that everybody in Washington, D.C. is an idiot, that they're all stupid, and, um, and that all he's got to do is come in, you know, uh, and be, be the guy in charge, and everything's going to be okay. Um, I think that he is applying that same level of, uh, of operation to uh, NATO and his dealings with them. Alan said it best. 
you know, he has a small sliver of information, and he is surrounded by people who have possibly bigger slivers of information, but who also have an axe to grind. And, you know, as he changes his mind from one minute to the next, you know, NATO's obsolete. Ah, NATO's not so bad. Then he goes over there and he basically gives them what for in the public said. You know, he, he's getting conflicting information from people rather than sitting down and coming up with his, his own standard as to how he's going to do things. So is it, are we playing a dangerous game? No. What we are doing, what we are doing is showing our incompetence on the national, on the international stage when it comes to understanding the ins and outs of foreign relations. It's not a game. Yeah, but it would strike me, Admiral Ken, that, you know, particularly with the rub that we had with uh, the tragic events uh, in Manchester and the aftermath of that, I mean, there was a period of about 72 hours where the British intelligence services were not working or even talking with the intelligence community here, putting the concept of the five eyes in jeopardy almost. This seems to me, and and maybe I'm being a little overdramatic, I don't think so, but it seems to me that, you know, the the deeper this message of Trump becoming, and it's not even, we can't even tell if it's nationalistic or if it's, isolationism or not it, it, there's no there's no rhyme or reason to what he says it strikes me though that this becomes a dangerous maneuvering and it puts national security here in the United States at risk if we continue to push at arm's length our closest allies like Britain Canada Germany uh, I, I, I agree with that just not, I agree with that and and I think I think that you know, part of the reason that we saw the, the leaks come out with regard to uh, the bombing in Manchester is because the intelligence community in this country, for lack of a better way of putting it, they're pissed off. They're pissed. They're angry. And uh, they have been, they've been ridiculed. Um, they've been maligned. And the, the president, you know, you know, thinks that uh, he can go to war uh, and, be at a war of words with these people and there not be any consequences. Uh, again, I think what it does is it manifests itself uh, in the form of showing how incompetent we, we can be and we are presently on the internet. Uh, Alan Moore, are, are, we, are we in fact going down a dangerous path the way that we're interacting or the lack of interaction with our NATO partners and other partners in the region? Well, it's definitely a dangerous path. I, I agree with I agree with the admiral. This ain't this ain't no game. Uh, it's not. There's nothing sort of intentional about it. There, there's there's a lack of awareness of the of the significance of words and messages um, and and even 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 body language. Um, it, well, it, uh, yeah, the, the, the NATO alliance. The NATO alliance was started right after World War II, and it is and it has served us well. We invested billions of dollars in the Marshall Plan, of all things, when a, when a billion dollars was a hell of a lot of money, and 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 we did it. There there was a humanitarian element to it, but it was much more uh, a matter of trying to create stability in a in a devastated, highly unstable, 
uh, region where it was in the collective world interest of of democratic uh, uh, nations, um, capitalist countries, to to strengthen each other. The the common enemy at the time was uh, uh, was the former Soviet Union. Um, other uh, enemies would would emerge later. Um, and even after the breakup of the Soviet Union, it turned out that that the that the much smaller entity now now known as Russia still poses uh, uh, dangers and threats, but so do a whole host um, uh, of of other forces uh, in the world. And what you hate to think is that this alliance, which has served us so well, could could break apart over stupid stuff, um, over ignorance, um, over demagoguery. Alan, let me jump, let me jump in and just ask this question point blank, which is the more dangerous track, the lack of experience or stupidity or the defiance? I'm sorry, or the what? Or the defiance. The the you know we are isolating ourselves. We it is America first. Which is the more dangerous track? Well, it, it, let me let me say this. It's you've heard me say this before. It's always been America first. That's what countries do. They put themselves first. How they do that depends on how they view the rest of the world and what their values are and what's important to them and what kind of resources they have and where the threats are. So um, nothing new about America first. There's definitely something new about the, 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 the rhetoric and the behavior associated with it. It's one thing to say us first and you guys, and, but you guys are our partners. It's another thing to say um, America first and to heck with you guys and you're not paying your own way and you're behaving badly, and you're cheating, and you're bad, bad, bad. Um, trading with you is bad. It's you know, it's this this glib tweet language, which is imprecise, offensive, um, and 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 dangerous in its own right. So, I I don't <laughs> I don't have an objection with with putting America first. I have a huge objection with the way this president talks about it. Uh, learns about it, uh, thinks about it, and uh, and and that's where the that's where the danger lies. Just by not understanding what the heck NATO is, why we have it, and what it's supposed to do, and what it has done for us to keep America first for seventy years. It's right. it's again this this ignorance by a person who chooses not to try to figure out. Uh, how to fill his knowledge gaps other than through uh, paragraphs or a visual chart here or there or a glib comment um, from someone else. And, and uh, that's where the danger lies. It's, you know, it'd be one thing if somebody really truly understood the long history of NATO and said, you know, it's time for that to change. It, 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 it really isn't serving our interests anymore. Um, so we either have to change it or, 
or walk away from it. That's not what we have here. We have somebody with a uniquely superficial knowledge, which, which he chooses purposefully, well, not to recognize and therefore not to want to do anything about. I mean, it's, it's like <laughs> all of us have, know things that a, a whole host of areas where we really don't know very much. And on this right. show, we'll often say, I don't know much about this. Um, that is not the way the president operates. He doesn't, even, he doesn't seem to believe or acknowledge that he doesn't know very much about stuff, which is why we get things like when he talks about health care. Who knew it was so complicated? Well, anybody who'd ever paid any attention knew it was complicated as hell. He hadn't, and he was right. forced to. Justin? Yeah, go ahead, Admiral Ken, last word for the segment. One last comment. I'm from a family of educators, and I believe that, that ignorance, you can fix ignorance. I mean, you know, if someone really wants to learn about something, you can fix ignorance. But there's this great American philosopher, perhaps you've heard of him, his name is Ron White. Ron Hitt says it best. You can't fix stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, th- th- there's, there's a lot of that going around right now. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the domestic problems facing Trump now that we've kind of talked about the foreign stuff that he created on the other side of the pond. But this is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio from a split-screen session. Uh, I am in the Big Apple, New York City, and we've got Admiral Ken and the Honorable Alan Moore down in Washington, D.C. But we will be back in two minutes. Stay with us.
backroom politics. And we're back here live on Blog Talk Radio for the best political talk show you never heard of. This is Backroom Politics. In the split screen edition, I am in New York City. Joining me from Washington, D.C., Admiral Ken and uh, Alan Moore. Hey, I want to talk about quickly some breaking news that's going to pivot us into our next subject, though. Uh, breaking news out of the Pentagon, uh, CNN is reporting that uh, the U.S. Defense Department has, in fact, tested successfully an uh, anti-ballistic missile defense program, uh, whereas uh, a, a simulated ballistic, intercontinental ballistic missile was launched from the Marshall Islands, and a striker or a, a, a stunner missile, anti-missile defense missile was launched out of Vandenberg Air Force Base. Many compare it to a bullet hitting a bullet at full speed. Uh, Admiral Ken, real quickly, how, how much is the importance of a successful test of an anti-ballistic missile defense system right now, particularly with the issues going on with South Korea and the rising tensions, even with Iran? Well, this, this test has been on the books for quite some time, and, uh, but I don't think anybody could have guessed uh, how pivotal the, the timing was going to be for it, uh, in that the North Koreans just did a missile test just less than, less than a couple of days ago. And uh, we, 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 we surmise uh, strongly that the, uh, the North Koreans were, were watching this. Uh, I alluded to the fact that we had such a capability uh, that wasn't classified, so lawyers put your, uh, put your, put your pens down, uh, that we, we've had this capability for a while, uh, deployed on, on the Navy Aegis, uh, Aegis missile cruisers and destroyers. Um, I, I, think the, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I think if, uh, uh, if anything, um, what it should do, what it should do uh, is, is ease some tensions between the U.S. and North Korea in that um, – They've only got a couple. We got a lot of these uh, anti-ballistic missile uh, weapons, and um, if anything, hopefully it'll help help uh, our mutual leaders back away from the edge a little bit, uh, at least for a little while. But you know, not not to be mistaken, I think the North Korean issue will continue to be a problem as long as Kim Jong Un is there, and um, in the form of, of, of our current president, this is a guy who's not going to take any crap, and um, that that's make everybody a little, a little bit more anxious uh, than, than they would normally be. Is, Alan Moore, is there a point, are we getting closer and closer to a point break with dealing with the North Koreans? I mean, there's only so much of this that we can push, or as General Mattis put it, the last thing we want is military interaction on the Korean Peninsula. Well, <laughs> it goes without saying, we do not want military conflict on that peninsula. And we will uh, we'll put a high priority on that. Um, we will put up with a lot of bad behavior, behavior that violates uh, uh, prior agreements and so on in terms of, of uh, tests, um, tests of uh, ballistic missiles, tests of nuclear weapons, um, uh, because there's, there's, there's no win um, to actual conflict. Having said that, um, we're investing billions of dollars in trying to, to create uh, a, a, a weapon that will shoot down uh, 
incoming missiles, not just for our own purposes, but for the purposes of some of our uh, of our key allies who feel at risk of uh, of being a target. If you're in Japan, a big ally of America, and you think that North Korea has got some kind of a weapon that it might uh, that it might use, you'd be really interested in in uh, in shoot down capability, just as you are if you're in Israel and you're worried about what people in the area uh, might be doing. Now, people who want to do you harm don't necessarily uh, uh, loft it in via a missile. Um, they'll walk it in with a with a suicide uh, 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 bomber, um, and they'll bring it in on board a ship or a vehicle or whatever. But um, it, it would it, for somebody like North Korea, which has got very limited capacity to deliver a weapon against us um, in 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 a uh, via conventional transport. For example, um, and they're t- rattling sabers about shooting something all the way to us. Well, it would be great if we felt confident. The problem with all of these things is they're really expensive. They're, they never work all the time, um, and they always require that you know what you're doing. And they only pr- protect against certain kinds of of, uh, of of delivery mechanisms. But with regard to conflict on the peninsula there's a massive loss of life if ever that starts because as we've said in the past the the the, the thing that the north would likely do is just start lobbing stuff into seoul which is only 60 miles 70 miles away and where there would just be mass um uh, damage and loss of life to to what end um uh, it, it's uh it's something that we will go a long way to avoid. Well, let's let's uh, pivot back towards stateside, if we can, for a second. And let's talk about the increasing pressures on the Trump administration from the inside. Uh, we can start with the now uh, widely reported issue surrounding Jared Kushner. It appears now that Jared Kushner is a strong subject of interest in several of the Russian probes, including a current FBI investigation into Russian influence into the U.S. election. Uh, Admiral Ken, uh, this, this, if confirmed true, has the potential to rock the most inner circle of the president. That's got to be weighing heavy on him as he tries to come up for air uh, in, in several media cycles that just isn't giving him a break. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Um, I, I've never been uh, part of a presidential trans- transition. Um, and, um, and and as I understand the charges uh, that, that the unnamed source has on Kushner, well, let, by the way, let me just, Admiral Kelly, just stop. There are no charges pending. This is just part of what everybody is widely reporting, including uh, the Washington Post, AP, and CNN. And let, me, let, let me then let me let me let me change my language slightly. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I am not. I am not. I don't. Perhaps I don't know all of the allegations that these unnamed sources are stating against uh, Jared Kushner. But as I understand it, uh, during the transition, he attempted 
uh, to have that channel of communications with the Russians uh, prior to the president taking power. Um, I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure if, if, I, if I've got a real problem with that. Um, and, and I'm not entirely sure that um, the Congress, uh, in, in the form of their mutual intelligence uh, communities, and um, uh, former Director Mueller, who's the, the special counsel, uh, I'm not entirely sure they don't have enough to investigate without having to look at this. Uh, this morning, I watched uh, former Governor Sununu uh, give a very spirited um, discussion of why he thought there was no bear there when it came to Kushner, and that when he was part of uh, uh, Bush 41's transition, um, he, you know, had lots of back channel, or people tried to have back channel communications with him all the time, uh, and there was nothing un- thought to be untoward about that. Um, so, again, you know, having the back channel communication is one thing, uh, saying that that's part of collusion uh, on the part of Trump campaign officials and the Russians is another. Again, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for more information before I'm um, going to, I guess, come up with my own opinion about this. I think there's a lot to be discovered yet. But again, I think that based on everything that we've seen and everything that we've heard in the last three months, there's plenty of, of material for the Senate and House uh, committees as well as the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the independent council to go and look at. Alan, Alan Moore, there's there's creating back channels, and then there is active collusion. Uh, how fine a line are we dealing with here? And based on reporting that we've seen and heard, uh, how serious are the implications, if proven true, against Jared Kushner and others in the uh, administration or previously with the administration like Flint? So the, the 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 gulf between collusion and and trying to set up uh, a back channel communication is the size of the Grand Canyon. They are two different things. Collusion is collusion. Collusion is conspiratorial. Collusion is working actively uh, with with someone that's being explored. That their very suggestion of collusion is what makes the president absolutely crazy. Because um, he thinks it's it 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 didn't happen, couldn't have happened, and is a mere excuse um, that that the, the Democrats are are propounding to explain why they lost the election, um, and he, he he way overreacts to that whole thing, but but he he feels it in his gut that that it's the wrong motive and it never happened. He doesn't know what was going, everything that was going on. On, on his behalf by by people around him, and we're going to learn more about what Flynn was doing, what Manafort was doing, what Roger Stone was doing, and, and likely what Jared Kushner was doing. But I don't put him in the same group as those others because his conversations all occurred, so far as I know, after the election, during the transition, when Flynn who I think had a, had a lot of influence in the, in the thinking and was fair, supposedly fairly close to Kushner. I don't know what the two of them talked about, what they, what, what they were seeking to do together. We're going to find out all of this yeah, stuff. Um, and and Ken, is, I think Ken, is, Ken is wise to be 
cautious about condemning Kushner without any additional information about about possibly setting up ways to talk. Understood, but we don't know enough. No, no, but Alan, let's let's look at this though from the practical aspect of you know even in a sub-official capacity or even in an official capacity dealing with a uh, a credentialed diplomat like the ambassador to the United States or the foreign minister or even, you know, a cultural attache is different. In this case, Kutcher, in some reporting, has been directly linked and to the back channels to a banker that is currently under sanctions by the State Department and the U.S. government. How does that meet... There's nothing that that fact has been known for months. That when he met the 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 report for a long time, and that no one has particularly disputed, is when he met with the Russian ambassador. The Russian ambassador reportedly asked Kushner if he would meet with a banker. Kushner met with the banker. I think it occurred at Trump Tower. Um, And there was, so far as I know, one meeting. We don't have a readout on that. Well. <laughs> we we don't have a readout on that meeting, but maybe but maybe we'll get one if our if our security uh, apparatus has one. So I, was it was it was it was it a smart move? Well, uh, by definition, it wasn't because we're we're talking about it now with sort of this mysterious cloud hanging over it. But there were a lot of conversations with a lot of different foreign governments that were occurring at that particular point in time. That there's nothing unique and new about conversations with other governments. Back channels. I'm not an expert here, but I will recall and remind everyone that when Ronald Reagan took over, the day that he the day that he was was sworn in, the Iranians released the hostages. Gee, I wonder if anybody was having any conversations about that. It wouldn't surprise me if there were some conversations that were occurring between the newly elected Reagan team and the Iranians, maybe through third parties. I don't know. When Richard Nixon uh, was, was, was first elected and we were in the middle of the Vietnam War, there was a lot of back-channel conversation, include, including some that was, in, in retrospect, highly controversial in terms of some orders that, that President Nixon gave. That, that I think were highly inappropriate. None of this reaches that level because we don't know about the content. The only content that we're aware of is the content that Flynn had in his conversations that he chose, for whatever reason, not to share with the vice president, nor to correct when the vice president was out publicly uh, saying that our sanctions against Russia were were were. Uh, were not a matter of conversation between Flynn and the Russians when, in fact, they were. That got leaked, and it, it caused us to say goodbye uh, to Flynn. Yeah, but, so uh, but, uh, let's Alan, just Alan. not get carried away and assume we know that Jared Kushner did some horrible thing. Let's find out what was going on. Kushner said through his lawyer he is perfectly willing to talk to anyone about what he did um, without any preconditions. So let's let that happen. My guess is that that may happen to 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 special counsel Mueller and not to the Congress. That's a whole 
different issue. The Congress is all, or certainly some of the Democrats, all charged up. We want, a, we want an independent council. We want an independent council. Well, now we have one. Guess what? Yep. The, the independent council is going to ask Congress to step back and let it talk to some of these people before they do. Yeah, but, Alan, Alan, you have to admit, though, I mean, the combination of, you know, there's always been a question of, you know, uh, conflict of interest. Uh, between Kushner, his dealings with the Russians, and an official capacity in his uh, uh, work to the White House, but it, and, and then his work on his private sector business. And then on top of that, when we see the outside counsel to Donald Trump, Michael Cohen, basically telling everybody, including the Senate and the House, and I believe the FBI investigation, that we're not cooperating, and that is the only words he said to them, does that not at least give a, a bad sniff test? I don't know what this guy Cohen has said. I understand he is also now a, a, a person they want to talk to. It, whatever he says doesn't matter. He doesn't work in the White House. He doesn't. He doesn't uh, speak for the he's president. The, the person who the speaks for Jared Kushner right now on the question we're talking about is Jamie Gorelick, his attorney, who has said in writing he will answer any questions you have. He wrote that to the Congress or anybody else. He's not going to stonewall it. Flynn is the one who said, "I need immunity. I got a lot to tell. You'll be interested in what I have to tell. Give me immunity." And the, the Congress is not about to do that, and Mueller would never let them do that. So, so you know, you're 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 trying to connect all of this stuff. We will learn a lot more. Let's be careful about who we condemn and on what grounds until we know more. And I haven't seen any. I haven't seen enough yet on Kushner, for example, to think that he should step aside, take well, a leave of absence. Resign. I don't see it. Yeah, just my fault. Yeah. I hate websites that do that. Darn it. Uh, sorry about that, audience. But, uh, Admiral Ken, let me kind of tag back with you on this same subject. You know, when we look at Michael Cohen, the president's outside legal counsel, who is being brought into the war room to help deflect some of the attention and defend the president's inner circle from uh, possible investigatory or allegations as a result of the ongoing investigation into the influence of Russia into the results of the 2016 election. When Michael Cohen basically says that he is refusing to cooperate with any of the investigations Understanding the innocent until proven guilty, but if there was nothing there, would it not make sense for the Trump administration to at least cooperate with the political investigations, let alone the political and the criminal investigations? Uh, Our friend Dan is not here, so I'm going to channel his spirit as a lawyer. And I think that my answer would be, if I were Dan would be, one, it's not up to me to basically prove that the government doesn't have a case. And so that being said, 
um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that the smart strategy here is that until there is uh, sufficient cause to worry about an indictment, that it is, there's sufficient cause to, um, to worry about um, charges being filed, uh, contempt charges being filed in Congress uh, against members of the Trump um, administration, even the president himself, that probably the, the one thing that President Trump can do and in, in not just through his lawyers, it's just shut up, shut up. And, and, uh, and if, 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 if there are people out there um, who, who, who have uh, committed crimes, I'm pretty sure that the special counsel uh, through his actions will ferret them out, ferret them out in, in, in due course. I, I think that um, the, the, the challenge is going to be for us all not to lean too far forward in, in the saddle on this one, not to get ahead of Mueller, uh, not to get ahead of uh, at least the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee. I'm not sure what, what the House is doing right now. Uh, and let these people do their job, do their jobs and figure out if there truly is a there there if, and if laws are broken and what should the, uh, the appropriate punishment be. Um, and as an aside to that, as an aside to that, I, I watched over the weekend um, one of the CNN 70 specials, um, the one entitled United States versus Richard Nixon. And I think it's interesting that in that particular event, this was a very, very slow boil that um, the press, most of the press, with the exception of the Washington Post, had basically turned their attention on to more tactical things. But, but, but that press agency, but the, the post stayed with it, and we got, we got the full um, history of Watergate. This is not going to be a fast and quick um, process. Um, we don't want it to be a fast and quick process. I'm sure the president would really like for it not to have the drip drip um, that, that a, a crisis uh, could have, but unfortunately, um, this is where we are. It's going to take some time. And I think the challenge on, on, on the parts of everyone is going to be, okay, just, just take a breath and let these people do their work. And, and by the way, I, I do want to acknowledge one thing. I, and, and I heard this from uh, an interview with Alan Dershowitz recently where he said that, you know, we've got to be very careful. In the, in the instances of the special counsel, for example, having a special counsel just – investigating in you know investigating people until he finds something and then brings it to bear is different uh than having evidence of something there and then taking it to full investigative term you know if the former happens instead of the latter we start getting into a slippery slope of violating civil rights and civil liberties that i agree with him on but that being said I do think that, you know, there's got to be a, a point break where, you know, the, you know, we hear the president say, I have nothing to hide, I have nothing to hide, and then to have his outside counsel say, yeah, we're not going to participate in giving any information or testimony to any of the Senator House committees. That, to me, can, that to me are, are diametrically opposed opposites. Those, those don't make sense to me. Am I missing something well, here? They, they, they so don't make sense that I – and I haven't seen that, and I follow this stuff pretty closely. So 
you know, I just don't believe that that's going to be the way it works. Um, when, when Jared Kushner says, I'm going to cooperate and tell anybody I know, and he says that via his lawyer in writing, that's what he's going to do. I don't care, I, you know, I, in, in, if the White House counsel, who's not this guy Cohen, but a guy named Don McGahn, when he starts talking that way, when we hear it from the press secretary, then then that's fine. But what the president himself has said, I want to get to the bottom of whether the Russians tried to influence our election. He has acknowledged that part. The thing that makes him nuts is the suggestion of collusion and and. And and even there, when you look at what he said, particularly in the Lest, in the famous Lester Holt interview, when he undercut the first uh, uh, explanation of, of why Comey was fired, he basically said there wasn't any collusion. At least I, at least there was sort of at least there wasn't any from me. And he he creates a little bit of space between his his certainty about himself to. The fact that he wasn't monitoring all of his people all of the time, he wasn't throwing them under the bus, but there's there's some space there. And my hunch is that his talking points were much more clear on that point and and that he just he just mucked them up when he was in the uh, the, the conversation with Holt. They, they are not. And, and he has also said that he fully expects the next director of the FBI to continue to 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 seek out the answer to the question of what the Russians were were up to and what they were trying to do. Um, but, but, and, but let's, let's and, go back to let's go back to the situation though, Alan Moore, when we talk about you know the involvement of uh, Donald Trump's personal attorneys, Michael Cohen, uh, Michael Cohen, who still represents the president in a private capacity, he is still a counsel of record. To the president, and he has received an invitation to provide information and testimony that pertains to the Russian investigation. The quote, as quoted by CNN today, he says to CNN, quote, I declined the invitation to participate as the request was poorly phrased, overly broad, and not capable of being answered, unquote. He continued to tell CNN that he considered it, quote, a total fishing expedition. Does that not feed into the, if there's nothing there, why not at least participate? No, what that feeds into is that, that it is in direct conflict what you, what you were saying earlier. That is that he has told everybody, you, we won't participate in any investigation at all. What you just read was his words, which I had not seen, which said, your your request is too broad. Not we're not going to help. We're not going to do anything. Yes, we think it's a fishing expedition. Fine, doesn't you know? That's just babble. Um, and yeah, but, and, yeah, and if he's an attorney, if he's an attorney to 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 Trump, he you know he can he can he himself can say depending upon what the issue is, there's attorney-client privilege. He can urge the White House to to exert executive privilege over stuff. That's not his call. So, you know, it's interesting, but it's a sidebar to the, to the people who matter the most, the president, White House counsel, and the folks on the inside. So, 
you know, it's interesting. As I say, I hadn't seen it, but it was not the statement. It, the, the, the words you read were different from how you characterized that guy's view just minutes minutes earlier. Well, well, no, no. I mean, basically, he is saying that he received an invitation and that he has said, no, we're not going to participate. I declined. Keep going. No, I understand. I understand that because the request is overly broad, so you narrow the request. You know, it's not. It's not just we're not going to cooperate. We're not going to respond the way you characterized it. There's, you know, these people tend to be a lot more careful than that, and so we'll see. But but he's not the key guy. I he, look the way I view it, Alan, and this is just in my humble opinion, is. He is part of the key. He is the private outside counsel to Donald Trump. He is still an attorney of record to Donald Trump, the man. And if he has any information that could possibly close this out and say, look, this is stupid. Let me put this to bed. One would think that as personal counsel, personal outside counsel to Donald Trump, he would at least say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put this, either you have a case or you don't. Let's put this to bed. But the more and more... Justin, just the, the, the issue of collusion doesn't deal solely with the president or his lawyer. It deals with this other handful of people. It, it most particularly with Flynn, with Manafort, with Stone, with Carter, the people who are subject to investigation, who might have been involved in conversations with the Russians that went beyond the bounds, that crossed into this realm of collusion. That lawyer would not necessarily know what those conversations were. In fact, I would argue that he would be highly unlikely to know. So, I, I don't know what we're talking about here. He can't no, speak I, for I, for all of those people. He and he can't speak for the people inside the White House. He I, may, I, think too, I think there's too much hiding going on for a president that wants to put this to bed. There seems to be a lot of bobbing and weaving in this that is unnecessary. Instead of opening up and saying this is the reality. Well, perhaps, Justin, this is a situation where, where the, the president's personal lawyer, and his name escapes me just now, perhaps he does not have the information that he would need to put this to rest. Perhaps he's working in the dark right now as much as Mueller or any of the other investigators are. And the best thing that he's trying to do is, is to do the thing that lawyers are supposed to do, and that is to protect his client. He's not worried about the presidency. He's worried about his client right now. Well, I, then, it, 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 look, okay, here's the thing. I mean, understanding, and I understand exactly what both of you are saying here is, but here's where I get so Why do you keep talking about it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because, because I'll tell you why. Because to me, there is a direct conflicting message coming out of the White House. Because here's the thing is, this situation doesn't occur. We are never talking about Russian involvement and Russian collusion. In, we don't talk about this, at least to this extent, if Donald Trump never puts out the 
Obama tapped my phone message. That is just simple common sense. Agreed. And, and every time that we have heard the Russian question come up, we have heard it called a witch hunt. We've heard it called a fishing expedition. We've, had it, we've heard it called everything but smoke and mirrors. In fact, I think they've called it smoke and mirrors at one point. But my comment goes to, for, a, for an administration and a president that wants to put this to bed, okay, he is losing a lot of credibility with me for several reasons. One, because the people around him don't have any credibility. They have, we have direct organizational conflicts of interest that we can tie to in a number of issues, but that's not mine to decide. That is, that is for the ethics lawyers to decide. But if you want to put this to bed, put it to bed. And the message that we hear is, I want to put it to bed, but we're not going to do anything to prove that we can put it to bed. That's my concern. So, Either... so here, here's, here's, here's the challenge with this. Um, and, and you heard me say it on this air before. Uh, agree that all of this started with that BS tweet that uh, I, was, I was surveilled by President Obama. It all started, it, it all goes back to that. Um, but you're also working with uh, a mentality of someone who will, who is not going to ever admit that he lied or that he was mistaken or that he was wrong about that. And so consequently, the direction his lawyer is going to get is going to be, you take care of me, you basically keep me out of trouble. And, and uh, his lawyer, his, his, the lawyer's response back to him should be more to the effect of, well, I need you to shut up and put teeth truth about it. Well, I think both of them are going to fall short of what they want from the other, but be that as it may. Uh, President Trump, um, he is, is, has got his own way of doing it. And, and I saw something over the weekend that kind of gave me some insight into how I think this is, you know, it, it, why, why I've arrived at the opinion that I have with regard to how he's going to take this forward. He's not going to say anything. He's not going to say anything. He's going he's to keep putting his lawyer out in front of this for as long as he possibly can. Here's why I say this. So, as we all know, the president has a golf, golf uh, uh, resort here in the D.C. area. Um, at one of the holes in the golf resort, there is a plaque um, where uh, it is commemorating a battle that took place on the banks of the, of, of the Potomac River, and there was so much bloodshed that the, uh, that, that, the, uh, the, 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 that part of the Potomac was known as a river of blood. That battle never happened. That plaque's been there for at least five or six years. Members of the club have implored him to take it down if he won't. This is who we're dealing with here, guys. So, so at, at worst case scenario, we have a president that is a path, pathological liar, and best case scenario is we have somebody who's just ignorant to the whole process of history. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think I think we lost I think we lost Alan. I think Alan got too frustrated. <laughs> no, no, I'm here. I was, you know, I was. I I, I thought I, I need to look at this CNN story because we're 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 going on and on and on about a, about a, a, a bit player 
he's not speaking for the president. He's simply speaking for himself. He says, I'm not going to uh, uh, respond. I think it's a fishing expedition. But he also said, as you as, as you were quote, you did quote him as saying, he's declined the invitation to participate um, as the request was poorly phrased, overly broad, and not capable of being answered. So that was a request from Congress. So how is he going to respond when they subpoena him? That that would would be would be my next question. He and Flynn have refused the invitation. Flynn said, I'll talk, but only if you give me um, uh, immunity, which Mueller would never allow, and the Congress isn't going to be particularly interested in doing. And then there's this guy who, who we don't even know exactly what he is supposed to know, but he's not providing guidance to anyone. It's not clear what the president says. I do want to take issue when you guys say that this all started when the president accused uh, 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 President Obama of of, uh, of of wiretapping uh, Trump Tower. That's not when this started. This started when the the intelligence community realized that the Russians and some people in the Trump campaign, namely Flynn, um, were talking about stuff. Um, and Yates brought to the to the transition team, uh, then acting Attorney General Yates, and said, "We think General Flynn is vulnerable to blackmail by the Russians because uh, uh, he's apparently not been truthful with the Vice President of what was said in his conversations with the Russians." That's what th- then the President took to mean what. They, they, they were wiretapping us. No, they were tracking the Russians, um, and 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 that all predated the the, the president's uh, unfortunate nonsensical accusation towards President Obama. Thus, sadly, cutting himself off from one of the few people in the world who are alive who could be helpful to him in in dealing with the challenges of being president of the United States. Um, and so uh, <laughs> goodbye, Obama, unless he, he heals that wound. And I don't see him talking to George W. Bush a whole lot either, or for that matter, uh, Jimmy Carter. Um, he needs help. He needs grown-ups with experience who can talk to him and who will be willing to listen to. So far he's shown no no awareness of his need nor any willingness to reach out and to listen well you know we've already busted through we i mean there's just so much to cover and so much to talk about this has been a great show we've already busted through uh most of the breaks but we've got a half hour left i do not want to go the show and not at least talk about uh some policy issues you know there's still policy going on inside government that still has to be addressed one of them is the budget, and the other one is the debt ceiling crisis that still looms. There is a looming debt ceiling issue that Congress has to take up, but seems to be distracted by a lot of the noise. Uh, Alan Moore, let me go to you on this one. Um, we haven't heard a lot about this debt ceiling uh, due date that's drawing down on us. Uh, we haven't heard a lot about the uh, infighting that's occurring regarding the budget that the president proposed uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
is, is it in fact that we've lost the forest through the trees, that we're distracted by all this noise? Could the president get his budget through a lot smoother than maybe originally thought? Well, no, 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 no. The, 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 for the probably the 85th consecutive year, a president sends up a budget that's dead on arrival. But in particularly that's in particular that's been the case in recent years. The irony in the, this year's this year's budget, which has created enormous amounts of of, of hand wringing around the country by the devastation that this budget would would uh, it, it is is going to bring. It treats it as though it's on the verge of happening, and it is it it, it is so far removed. From actually happening, that it, it's not so. It, it, it's not even funny. Here's a here's a guy. You, you can give you can give the the Republicans credit for trying to tackle the deficit. That's it. After that, when you get into the details, they devastate uh, a, a whole number of of uh, federal activities and agencies that have powerful followings. And some rationale. So instead of hey, we got to cut everybody back five percent, eight percent, you know, you're going to have it hit hard ten percent over here. Uh, it's it's you just slash and burn a number of programs, um, and then you do nothing on the Social Security and Medicare that are the biggest drivers long term uh, and intermediate term of of the of the the fiscal uh, cliff we're headed for and. And you do almost nothing on taxes. Uh, well, you, you do you do basically you you go in the wrong direction in terms of tax revenues, and then you make up the difference by completely unrealistic uh, growth estimates um, for what the what the great economic response of all of this stuff is going to be. Um, so no no one inside Washington on the Hill is taking it very seriously. The president himself. Would be I'd love to see him have a true or false or a, a multiple choice uh, test on what's in his budget because uh, I'm confident he 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 wouldn't uh, he he just wouldn't know and and he showed that in one area the other day when um, on top of the, the the major cuts in health spending that are in the budget as well as in the uh, the replacement for Obamacare he he said helpfully. Maybe we need to be spending more on health care. We want to have the very best. Obamacare is dead, but the Republicans are going to have a much better plan. So he it? proposes to, to cut close to $2 trillion um, over the next 10 years in health spending between the, the replacement of Obamacare and his budget. Right. And at the same time, says, you know, we maybe need to spend more on health care. But, uh, but Admiral Ken – should it be a little bit disconcerting that, uh, you know, when we hear senior members of the House Budget Committee, like uh, my, my friend Tom Cole from Oklahoma, say that I just don't think it's on the front burner, quote unquote. And he continues to say, so far, I haven't heard that much discussion about it, unquote, talking about the debt ceiling and the budget fight. Should, I think that's the debt limit he was talking about. Yeah, yeah, that was about the debt limit. I, uh, that, that is correct. I mean, but shouldn't that concern us, Admiral Ken and Alan? Well, sure, sure, it should because because it, it's so you know as I said earlier on a, in, in a different segment, you know the president is of the opinion that everybody in Washington D.C. is stupid. Well, he's not the only person out in, out, out here that, that, that thinks that. 
And it's because of situations like this. We send these people to Washington, D.C. to do things like, oh, I don't know, come up with a budget. Oh, I don't know, solve the debt. Oh, I don't know, come up with uh, a debt mitigation plan that, that unfortunately um, uh, includes dealing with the debt ceiling, and it's not getting done. And from the perspective of, um, I think, of a lot of people, um, the things that are going on in the White House uh, have, have basically made the wheels of government grind to a halt. Now, those of us, we know that's not true. The government's still working. But from the perspective of a lot of people, um, you know, that, that are not as uh, clued in as to how this whole process works, nothing is going on. And, 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 and it looks like it's going to get worse before it gets any better. So, yeah, we should be along. Alan Moore, is this a situation where we is this a situation where we've kicked the can so far down the road that it's so dented we just can't kick it anymore? No. So the debt limit the the, the debt limit is something that never doesn't ever have a particular date on it. We we authorize the federal government to go into debt up to a certain amount. When we start approaching that total. Um, then people get nervous because theoretically we, we or not even theoretically we could get to the point where we would have we would have borrowed everything up to the allowed limit and government still has to function and we're still f- operating at significant deficits so what do you do when you hit your ceiling well you increase the ceiling that's what this whole debt limit refers to and there's always estimates made well when we inter- when we increase it this will buy us 6 months this will buy us 2 years um, it's kind of an anachronism that we even re- require authorization to finance the things we've already agreed that we're going to do, but that that's sort of beside the point. The thing that Tom Cole was talking about is that what the Congress has been assuming is we would deal with the debt limit in September about the same time we were dealing with a lot of the appropriations bills, and we might be able to tie them together. So there's some stuff that a lot of people care about. Um, in, during Obama's time, Republicans tended as a group, but with some exceptions, not to support increasing the debt limit without some concessions. And the president gave some, wouldn't give some. Um, you know, this, it, this creates all the talk of, of, a, of a government shutdown because if we, we're not authorized to borrow more, we can't, we can't spend more. We can't, we can't run government. The, the Democrats say, we just want a clean increase don't be loading stuff up and we would say load stuff up now the the roles have changed and the republicans not all of them but many are saying no 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 just a clean debt extension just increase the number let's not try to lard it up with a bunch of other spending bills tax bills it it's it's too complicated but it takes 60 votes in the senate to to increase the debt limit. So you need some statesman-like people at some point of the other party. Well, in both parties, there are Republicans who will not vote for a debt limit increase. And the Democrats will say, well, if you're expecting us to allow this to happen, you got to give us something. So right. what happened with the surprise for Cole was when, when budget director Mulvaney and Tre- treasury secretary, secretary Mnuchin said last week, we need to do this in July, uh, before the end of June. 
That's what well, hasn't been talked about. That's what caught Cole uh, uh, and, and others by surprise. They say, wait a minute, we're, t- <laughs> we're trying to deal with, with, with health care, with a, with a tax bill, um, and we thought we would do this after this along with the spending bills after the August recess. Well, they'll be gone most of August. Um, uh-oh, how serious is this? this well, that's what, caught- that was the surprise. That was caught them <laughs> off guard. This, this this even caught Orrin Hatch off guard, where Orrin Hatch was quoted in Politico the other day saying, you know, I don't think we can get this done before the August recess. Uh, sounding like this actually might be pie-in-the-sky politics. Uh, Admiral Ken, is, it, 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 it almost seems like all the noise surrounding the, the administration has taken our eye off the ball of actually governing. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I, I just said, I mean, you know, from the perspective of the broader uh, portions of the country that that, that 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 even look at this stuff, their perspective is that nothing is happening. Everybody's now waiting to see whether the president's going to give impeached or not. And I, I realize that's a bit of hyperbole there, but you know, there are there are people who are who are I think sitting at home watching MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, waiting for the hammer to drop. From their perspective, nothing else is going on, and nothing else is going to go on until this is all put to rest. Alan Moore, do you agree? I I, I was I, I I never got the original question there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the original question. I was trying to glean it. I was trying to glean it from 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 Ken's brilliant answer, but I was unable to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very simple question, Alan. Are are we missing are we missing the opportunity to govern through all the noise surrounding the issues about the Trump administration? We're missing the opportunity to govern. It's not so much the noise. It's it, we we started off with health care. We took we 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 rammed a bill through through the House against all odds, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Doesn't fix the problems. And is dead on arrival in the Senate. Um, there was a lot of talk about the failure on health care to, to not have on the re- revised bill. We didn't have a CBO estimate. And legitimately, the, I mean, it was a, a legitimate question to ask. But also on the on the Republican side, they said it's not going to be that different from the first one. And you know something? They were right. It went from 24 million fewer people insured to 23 million people fewer insured. Um and, and and it's just it it can't go anywhere. So we bit that off first, um, partly because of how long it's been an issue. Repeal and replace. Well, it's really hard to repeal and replace because we've got so many new people dependent on this program on our screwed up uh, uh, health system, which we chose not to reform um, eight years ago. So. So then it's tax. Then it's ta- then let's talk about taxes, where there's some additional agreement. But hey, guess what? Who knew taxes were so complicated? They're really complicated too, and you have differences of opinion on what to do. So we started there. We're still there. We're unlike we're you know there seems to be no chance we'll we'll get a major health reform bill through. Um, and and I don't know about taxes. That's a long shot, but still possible. So the debt limit and the spending bills, people thought were going to wait until the fall. And and they may still 
it, it, it just caught people by surprise. So the, the Republicans are desperately looking for some kind of legislative breakthrough. The, the Democrats are not inclined to help them at all because they see Republicans in such disarray. And it's like, wow, those guys are in so much trouble. We might have thought if, if this uh, administration had, had started out differently, we might have to be working with the Republicans on some kind of a health reform package. There is a small bipartisan group in the Senate working on that, but it's going to be hard to get the major rank and file who smell uh, uh, smell meat in the air, smell blood in the air to say, gee, maybe maybe for the good of the country, we should work together on a on a on a tax bill. It could still happen, but it, we're not on that path right now. Yeah. And Admiral Ken, you agree? Yes, I do completely. Very good. Very good. Well, we've got about uh, we've got about ten minutes left, uh, or actually, we've got twenty. We got some time left to keep going on this. Uh, lost track of time with losing the brakes takes me off my A game. Um, let's go back a little bit to the uh, to the uh, the budget issue, Admiral Ken. You know, the, the president's been talking about strengthening the military, strengthening the military, and yet if you if you look detailed at the budget. Uh, it, it almost sounds like we're on the verge of bringing back the base realignment and closure committees to shut down bases uh, in the military. It, are, are, are we seeing a conflict of message coming out of the White House regarding his military budget? Well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um, um, I think that the onus is always going to be on the service chiefs and their respective uh, uh, secretaries um, to come up with, you know, the most efficient way uh, to manage the force. Um, you know, you're talking to someone that when he came into the Navy, there was a major base in Newport, Rhode Island, Navy base in Newport, Rhode Island, Norfolk, Virginia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, Jacksonville, Florida, or Mayport, Florida. So now, so now, Norfolk, uh, Newport is a school, is a schoolhouse. Uh, uh, Charleston's closed, except for getting rid of nuclear fuel. Um, Philadelphia is is where we basically put ships in uh, in mothballs. Um, Charleston's gone, and you know the two big bases on the East Coast uh, are Norfolk. Uh, Kings Bay down in Georgia, where the submarine fleet's located for the East Coast, and Mayport, Florida, and I, I, I you know, and I, and I think you're going to see a further shrinking of of uh, real estate because it's expensive. Um, and quite frankly, quite frankly, uh, closing bases doesn't hurt the military per se; it hurts the surrounding communities because of the loss of revenue. And I think, quite frankly, when you have uh, agencies like the Base Realignment and Closure Committees, um, uh, you, you, what you see there is politics, politics at, at, at their best. I remember Ann Richards um, defending bases in Texas when she was governor. Um, they subsequently closed one or two of those, but it was for the good of the service, not necessarily for the good of the other communities around, around those bases. So I, I'm okay with it. You know, I, I think if we can find a way to uh, to better use the money, uh, you know, to put better weapons and uh, salaries in the hands of the, of the sailors, uh, seamen and airmen. Um, I, I'm okay with that. 
Alan Moore, what, what's the biggest challenge facing uh, the budget committee, as particularly getting a good budget bill out that could see light in both branches of Congress? What's the biggest challenge that they're facing right now? Well, the the, the fact that the that the White House is talking about budget challenges and budget priorities in ways that are very different than the way the, 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 the sort of major budget players uh, in the Congress uh, talk about it. Um, and it, it, it comes back to the, to the, the question of what's off the table and what's on the table. And the president chose in the campaign to take social security and Medicare off the table, even though most people who are serious about the budget over the long term, not year to year, which of course is how we write them, but it, it, it's it's important um, as public servants to think about something beyond this year or next year. Um, so you, you you've got a, a White House budget, a presidential budget that that proposes cuts of twenty to twenty five percent in various kinds of popular programs, not all universally popular, needless to say, some of them are politically, you know, they, they're, they're politically contentious when they, when they propose to cut the EPA budget by 20, uh, 21%, I think um, that drives the, 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 those concerned about the environment totally up the wall, but it also bothers a lot folks who tr- are trying to be reasonable about moving towards living within our means. It's just way out there in the extreme and no one in the, you know, no more than a handful of folks in the Congress would say, yeah, that's, that's a good number. And you see that throughout the, the, uh, the, the, the president's budget proposal. Now this is, it's not new that the, that the, that the, you know, there's the budget committee and then later the, the stuff that really matters is the, the, uh, uh, the spending bills, um, where you're, you're, you're trying to work together. And in, in recent history, people who were serious about the deficit, um, looked at where the money was and they looked at, they looked at, at the big entitlement programs. They looked at defense. Um, uh, they looked at it so hard that, uh, uh, that argue that, that what we found in the in the, the budget that was just uh, or the the major spending bill that was just passed a little over a month ago actually had increases in defense spending and no increases in domestic spending and that was new that was different it wasn't as much as uh, uh, the administration wanted or many Republicans wanted from pent up demand but it it uh, it was a departure from this move in lock, lockstep. You can increase defense, but only if you increase um, domestic as well. And, and, and the, that was the, the sort of uh, unreported piece of news that came out of the, uh, uh, of, of, of the most recent bill. It was all about Democrat victory um, because the, the president didn't, didn't get money for the wall, for example. No, but he got, there was almost $2 billion for shoring up the border. Um, so it was a mixed bag of who won what. 
right now they're they're talking across each other. The, the 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 president's budget is so is is so out there in things it's going to cut. It, it would decimate foreign assistance spending, which in total in total is less than one percent of our budget. And all of the military leaders of the last uh, generation would say. You need money for diplomacy. You need money to make friends. It's we we. we I, I remember Admiral Mullen when he was joint uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs at a, at a at a at a gathering said, for for every dollar you spend on diplomacy and and development, um, you save six dollars in the military. But that kind of argument uh, we're going to be hearing about. But that's. That's not how the public sees it. It's certainly not how uh, Donald Trump uh, and some of his folks see it. So there are just these huge differences um, that we're going to be fighting about and wasting a lot of time over, um, even as we aren't talking about um, some of the main major structural changes that we we really need to address, um, and not to mention health care reform, for whatever we want to call it. Um, it's all about like Obamacare, hate Obamacare. And Obamacare is just a sliver of, of the health system. Let me, Admiral Ken, who's going to get hurt the most? Are the, are, are the Republicans in jeopardy of really getting beat up over this budget? Or uh, do the Dems have a lot to lose? Do they, you know, are we going to see some uh, flyover to the Republican side in this budget battle? Uh, you know, good, good. That tells me that um, there's going to be winners and losers on both sides. And I realize that's a Washington, D.C. political answer, and I really try not to become one of these people. Um, but um, that the reason I say that is, one, I, I think um, as um, this whole situation with the White House unfolds, um, I think you're going to see a lot more measured uh, approaches to things on the parts of the Republicans who are in states that are going to have um, credible Democratic challengers. Um, I think you're going to see um, Democrats who are in states where they can really, really make a play for things um, come out very, very strongly and put some put some uh, Republicans on the defensive, especially when it comes to the health care vote uh, that Alan spoke of a few moments ago. Um, by and large, I you know I, you know I, I you know most most presidents typically get what they want. Uh, to some extent, I think this is what's going to happen here in the in the long term. But I think that depending on how the rest of the politics in, this, in, in the, the next few months plays out, we'll be able to see uh, who's left standing when it's all done. Alan Moore, what's your take? You know, it, it's it, it is we're 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 going to be muddling through here, and and the the Republicans in the Congress. I, I, it, they're in the greatest jeopardy at this point. They're just, you know, they, they think they can win if, I mean, you hear sometimes the president say, well, we'll just let Obamacare collapse. Well, you know something? This administration owns health care in America now. Yep. They can try to blame Obamacare just as Bush spent years trying to blame things on on, on President Bush, but it just doesn't work that way. It If... if, if <laughs> If you've got the White House and you've got the Congress, um, why can't you do stuff? Now, 
we know why you can't, because there are huge differences of opinion among Republicans, for example, on what to do. And it takes 60 votes to do most things in the Senate, making that whole thing even more complicated. The Republicans have much more to lose. And they and, and on top of the, 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 the loss in, in not a lot to show legislatively, partly because of the complication of issues and partly because of the diversion, that has been created with all the missteps and 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 stupid mistakes of of this uh, ad- administration. Um, it it makes the administration uh, makes the Republican life uh, even tougher. And we got on, you know we've got congressional elections. I'm not about to predict what's going to happen in the in the presidential election or in the in the congressional elections in 2018. Uh, we got a lot of, a lot of life ahead of us. So a lot of things happening in America and in the world. Uh, that can that can affect these things. Um, the, the president is proved himself to, proving himself to be a very slow, resistant learner, and that's the biggest disappointment for people who weren't supportive of him, but who wanted to be hopeful. Um, uh, he, he's he's shown um, only every now and then glimmers of. Uh, recognition and learning about how hard this stuff is, and in the meantime, um, he for for every step forward, he seems to make two steps back, which uh, suggests that he's worse off now than when he started. Even though he uh, he should have been in a position to have learned a whole bunch more, right. and and we're just not seeing the evidence. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, five minutes left in the show. Uh, with that, real quickly. There's only three of us. Uh, we'll get to part of the show, which is what didn't we cover? What we didn't bring up this week that we should have, or we'll probably see again in future shows. Uh, so, uh, Admiral Ken, what didn't we cover this week? Manuel Noriega died. And, oh. And in the brief history of, of some of the, the most interesting um, actions this country has taken in my lifetime uh, to depose a sitting, uh, sitting leader by military force. Well, I got to tell you something. The fact that the U.S. military did, in fact, play Van Halen's Panama directed at the Vatican's embassy in Panama City, you got to well, admit, that's kind of creative. You got to give them props for that. Uh, Alan Moore, what didn't we cover this week? All right. So what we didn't cover was, uh, was Alan Moore world. Um, in 15 days in May, I had a granddaughter, Anna, who graduated from the Newhouse school at Syracuse. I had a stepdaughter, Jocelyn, who graduated from UVA. I had a new granddaughter, Cora, daughter of Zach and Cassie born one week ago today. I had grandson Ford graduate from Halifax High School, and I had grandson Evan and his uh, uh, his girlfriend uh, Cassie become engaged. Fifteen days in, wow. in in Alan Moore world. That Alan, that is impressive. Congratulations. You understand that with everybody that you just mentioned, you have enough to have the entire Republican Party of Delaware. I, I understand. Or twice the Republican Party of Washington D.C. 
Wow, hurtful but true. Hurtful but true. Although, uh, which is not to say these people, which is not to say these people would want to sign up. But yeah, exactly. Just in terms of numbers. That is very true. Uh, hey, listen. On behalf of uh, Admiral Ken Carradine, uh, on behalf of the Honorable Alan Moore, I'm your moderator host, Justin Russell. We will be back next week. Uh, whether it's from a split screen or not, we don't know because apparently I am traveling more than Anthony Bourdain. Uh, but we'll try and get that under control hopefully soon. Either way, we will be back live here on Blog Talk Radio for the best political talk show you've never heard of. By the way, you can follow us on our Twitter account at Backroom Politics. You can also follow us on our partners at Sidewire. Download the app at the Google Store or the iTunes store, or you can just go to sidewire.com to see our thoughts and comments on the latest political news coming out of Washington and the global community. Uh, you can also email your comments to me, justin at backroompolitics.org. Yep, still works. Tell us your thoughts and comments. But other than that, we will see you same time, same channel next week. This has been Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. Have a great week, America. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics.